Hey everyone, and welcome back to a new year of What's the Dealio. I'm Nico, and Erica and I are so excited to bring you this bi-weekly podcast to tell you everything, ranging from what's going on in the school to what's going on in the world. Today, I plan to talk about Hispanic Heritage Month, a holiday mainly covered in, in the United States. The month ra- uh, ranges from September 15th to October 15th. The reason it starts on September 15th is because on that day, Mexico uh, commemorates their independence from Spain. And it used to be just a week-long holiday due to the fact that most Central American countries celebrate their independence on September 16th, and Chile commemorates their independence on September 18th. It was first proclaimed as a week by President Lyndon B. Johnson, and Presidents Nixon, Ford, Carter, and Reagan gave annual commemorations. It wasn't until 1988 when the commemorative week was expanded to a month by legislation sponsored by uh, Representative Esteban Edward Torres and amended by Senator Paul Simon, which was then later signed into law by President Ronald Reagan. This was later into Reagan's presidency, so the first ever uh, National Hispanic Heritage Month was proclaimed by President George H.W. Bush on September 14, 1989. Since 1989, all presidents have given a presidential proclamation to mark Hispanic Heritage Month. In this episode, I will be speaking with three voices of the Hispanic community in ASIJ. So let's start it off with S.B. Littlefield. Hey, everyone. I'm here with SP to talk about Hispanic Heritage Month. Hi, guys. <laughs> well, I just I kind of wanted to start out. This whole episode is mainly you know, talking to different Hispanic voices in our school. And so, I mean, everyone, everyone's from different places. So I, I kind of wanted to start off with like wondering, like, what's your like background? Like, what's your Hispanic background? I'm originally from San Francisco, but my mom's whole family is Mexican-American. So she has dual citizenship both the u.s and mexico and her family they've always lived in california like my great 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 grandfather actually like fought in the spanish-american war so they're like like actually native californians but (laughs) yeah but then so both my mom's parents are mexican-american her dad's family is like native californian and then her mom's family is from i think like the central coast of Mexico, I think. Mm. Yeah, but then everyone has an American passport, so. Right. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I did know that you were Mexican. I did. I did know that I was like your Mexican background. I didn't know if there's anything else. So uh, yeah, as you mentioned, like you, did you live in California at, at all, or was that just your family? I lived in San Francisco till I was eight. So growing up there, yeah, there's definitely more of a presence. Like Hispanic presence, but yeah, uh, yeah. So you were you were talking about how like in San Francisco, there's definitely much more of a presence, a presence yeah. than there here in Japan. But like while in California, were you able to like ha- have deeper roots there and like your Hispanic roots? Maybe have from some friends, maybe some family friends that like you were able to enrich your culture. I think so more than living overseas, just because like growing up in San Francisco, I went to school with a lot more or not growing up, but living there when I was in elementary, I went to school with a lot more kids who had like Hispanic backgrounds. And also my grandparents were close by. 
just within the same state. And so because of that, I would visit them more often. I'd see my family more often. And so the mix of like living in a city that had has such a diverse presence as well as more of like Mexican, specifically Mexican influence in like the food and the culture. It definitely helped me kind of like understand parts of being Mexican. Now, yeah, I I get that. In Japan, you don't really have those connections that that you can, especially when you're far away from family. Yeah, Um, because family is such a big thing, like in like Hispanic culture. And my mom's family's huge. So when I lived in California, I'd see my cousins and like my aunts and my uncles would come and visit. But because we're in Japan and especially because of COVID, like I haven't seen people in so long. Right. Uh, Yeah, I understand that. Um, And I guess with that, do you ever wish that you lived in a like Hispanic country to like, I don't know, stick with your roots? Maybe. I don't know. I think like I wish there was more of a presence of it in my life because I think because I've lived overseas since I was eight and there's been like a lack of Hispanic influence like obviously I have my mom and like we celebrate like typically like Mexican holidays like um three kings day or like like day of the dead things like that but it's definitely a lot more limited my exposure is more limited just to family than it would be if I had lived in California or like maybe not living in Mexico just because I feel like it would be hard for me to fit in and assimilate mm. just because I've grown to be <laughs> American. I definitely but- understand that. Yeah. I remember like when I was taking um, my Spanish class, it was like a Spanish for fluent speakers. So I was surrounded by these like fellow, either like, you know, either like first generation immigrants or people who like have these really Spanish families. So it was always like, we always understood each other. But yeah. here there's like, there's really barely anyone that, is somewhat Hispanic or somewhat Latino and that you can maybe connect with on that level. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I also think that because of my lack of exposure growing up, I've become not like, not I don't want to say uncomfortable, but I'm like more wary when I'm in the U.S. just because like, even though I'm like Hispanic and I'm like Mexican-American, I feel like there's a part of the culture that I don't innately understand because I've grown up kind of like without it being a huge influence in my life. Kind of jump jumping ship to like yeah. a different section. But um, I was like wondering, cause like there's always this big conversation right now, especially on, in inclusivity and diversity. And it's like, as the world moves more into inclusivity, like what's your opinion on the term uh, Latinx and like Latina in like introducing it into language? I think one thing that's really important, even though I didn't understand it until you said it, is like differentiating between like Spanish speaking cultures and those that have roots within like Hispanic versus Latino. Because I think that just like the influences that everything, the influences that those different cultures have are similar, but also different. But I think introducing it is a good idea, but I also think educating the meaning behind it is kind of parallel to the introduction. Because, like, Latinx is, it's imp- you know, in this world of inclusivity, it's important to, like, because Spanish is such a gendered language. Yeah. It's so gendered no, with either, like, like uh, a or a and it's yeah. always, it's so gendered. And I understand that, like, want to bring inclusivity. The thing is, like, Latinx doesn't work in, like, the Spanish language. Like, it, it doesn't form it, which is why, I, you know, you sometimes see Latina, and it's, like, so it's adding in, like, an E after uh, yeah. Latin. I, I think brings a more 
like it 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 brings that inclusivity but alongside working with the actual language that it's like speaking yeah. to. Yeah, I agree with that. I haven't really I hadn't considered that aspect of it, but no, I definitely agree with you. Also, I think la saying like Latinx is such like a Western world like oriented term that I think the intent is right, but I, I agree with you. I think that have like honoring the language that it is reflecting is important. Yeah, especially because Spanish is such a gendered language. Like it's it's insane. <laughs> it really is. I'm growing up, I was always just learning it through like my parents saying yeah. it. So I, I didn't really understand the mechanics until reaching like middle school when I was finally taking like a Spanish class. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, it's like really gendered like each word is you you think one word is like this female word and like i mean i don't really view it as female but like it's female i i'm just like i mean i how did they think of all these mechanics and i understand like in this changing world there's the need to to bring this gender inclusivity especially with non gender non-conforming people in the Mm -hmm. spanish world yeah yeah but then i think the question arises like like that is very important, but also how can you shift a whole language and a whole culture behind that in order to be inclusive? Right. I, I get know. that. It's kind of a difficult like topic, especially I don't because I've learned Spanish through school. Like Spanish was my first language, but I went to school and I forgot it all. And my my mom speaks Spanish, but not at the level high enough where it's been fluent. So for me, just learning it through school and like learning the mechanics of the language, it's kind of been like kind of shock a bit just realizing like oh why does a chair have a gender <laughs> like <laughs> that's so true like why why it's just a chair yeah <laughs> thank you so much Espy. and now moving on to our next interview with mateo hey everyone i'm back now with my twin brother mateo hello everybody Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Um, I first wanted to start off with a pretty easy question. You know, speaking to many Hispanic voices at our school, I wanted to know, what's your Hispanic background, you know? So, myself and my siblings were, most of them were born in the United States, but my parents come from and were born in Uruguay. Many of you may not know where that is. That's a it's a small country in South America wedged in between Argentina and Brazil. My mom is Uruguayan and my dad is 50 percent Uruguayan and 50 percent Paraguayan. My mom was born in Uruguay. My dad was born in Mexico, but 100 percent not Mexican. It was just coincidentally born in Mexico. Anyways, that's off topic. My sister was also born in Uruguay, um, but me and my brothers were born in Virginia, also important to note that my grandfather's family came from Spain, so I have ancestry from Spain as well. You mentioned that you lived in the U.S. You were born in the U.S. Yes. You know, where did you spend most of your time in the U.S.? Virginia, born and raised. Wow. 16 years. Wow, that's great. Well, during your time in Virginia, I mean, you're 16 years in yeah, Virginia. 16 years. How were you able to stay connected to your Hispanic? Well... It was hard to really do that because in the community that we lived in, you know, where we were situated in, we lived in the area whose demographic was of older white folk. 
And we went to a secondary school with, it was massive. You know, you could find anybody you wanted there. There was one of everybody there. And I took higher level Spanish classes, was classes that had Spanish speaking people in it. That was really nice, you know, to hear Spanish every day really helped me learn Spanish and keep up with my Spanish. But, you know, to mingle with other people who had similar but not identical experiences as I was very, very nice. Right, right. I, yeah, I get that. But like to, I guess, furthering that connection, have you ever wanted to maybe like live in, in, in a Hispanic country? Yeah, I've actually thought about it. It's it'd be really cool, as you know, but many don't know. I've vacation often in Uruguay and those couple weeks to a month I spend there are really nice, you know, to live in and around, you know, people of my culture, of my parents' culture. It's it's really nice. And I would love to spend couple months to a couple of years in those countries or specifically Uruguay, it'd be, it'd be really nice. Right. I mean, I, I've always viewed as like, I mean, typically Hispanic cultures, it's very family, family oriented. And right. I mean, we've, we've always been dejected from family, right. even in Japan, but as well in America yeah. as they've all, they all live in Uruguay. Mm -hmm. So it's, it would also further that connection, I think. Of course. Right. Because, you know, we, we live already, we, we, we already live so far away from Uruguay in, in Virginia, and we are the only ones in our family that are outside of Uruguay. So living in Japan now, it's even further. Right. I mean, and now in Japan, of course, you talked about in Virginia, you at least had the, your fellow Spanish-speaking students, those right. fellow peers. I mean, now in Japan, how do you feel that, like, you know, those, that, that change? How's that felt? It's, it's gone even harder. I find it very hard to find other Latino people or Hispanic people in in ASIJ. I know there's a couple, um, but it's very it's a very small community. In the larger Japan context, it's also quite hard. You find you sometimes find some Hispanic markets or Latino markets, but um, that's quite about it. I mean, kind of jumping ship into like a different general topic i mean in this changing world we always see this diversity push for diversity and push for inclusivity especially gender inclusivity and gender diversity mm -hmm. what's your opinion on the term latinx latinx um i think the the issue of equality and inclusion is of the highest importance for everybody to feel safe in their community that's absolutely crucial into just living life and to be happy. But um, this introduction of the new term Latinx, personally, I would not use it for myself. I would just go for Latino, but that's, that's also, you know, just because that's how I identify. But the use of Latinx to be spread around everybody as well, I think it'd be hard to implement in most Spanish-speaking countries because the use of that letter X is not common in the language. It'd be hard to implement into, you know, the regular use of the Spanish language. Right, an already established prominent language in of the world. Of course. To introduce a new word that uses a letter in a way that's not usually used in that language would be incredibly hard. Right. So with that, 
then what's your opinion on like Latina? It's I mean you you we, we see that opinion throughout um, the similar opinion that you have, and some have option to use Latina instead to um, utilizes the same functions that the Spanish language uses, but still brings the gender inclusivity. Do you feel that that is a much a better option? I personally have never heard of the term Latina, but now hearing it, it's a better alternative. I think it's always just going to be hard when a language is so strongly rooted in gendered words. Right. I think it's always going to be hard. Mm-hmm. And what's your what's your opinion on, on the Spanish languages? It's, it's how, how gendered it is. What's your opinion on that? You know, it's have you ever felt like it's kind of crazy compared to like you know the English that you learned when you were younger? You know, it's it's much more gendered. It just, just seems natural to me. You know, when you think of something, it is something that doesn't even have to do with gender. It just, like, makes sense. That's just how I learned it. I don't question it. And it's not, I don't see it as a gender issue. It's just, like, that is that thing. Well, thank you so much for, thank you. for your time and energy. I'm excited to move on to our next guest, Senora Jimenez, which the interview will be in Spanish for our Spanish learners and Spanish speakers. Thank you. Bienvenidos todos. Ahora estoy con Senora Jimenez. Mm. Buenos días. Gracias. <laughs> bueno, quería empezar simple con uh, un pregunta de, ¿de dónde eres? ¿De dónde sos? Mm -hmm. eh, originalmente de Quito, Ecuador. Mm -hmm. Nací en Quito, la capital de Ecuador una ciudad pequeña de aproximadamente dos millones y medio de habitantes en los Andes, ah, a sí. casi tres mil metros de altura. Wow. Entonces, eh, sí, con, en las montañas. Sí. ¿Sí? <risa> ¿Y, ¿Y tu familia es so, solo este Ecuador o, o hay un, eh, un mezcla? Eh, pues sí, mis padres ecuatorianos, mis hermanos ecuatorianos, sin embargo, mi hermano y mi hermana vivieron fuera del país muchos años, entonces se consideran ecuatorianos, aunque tienen un pasaporte adicional. Ah, sí. sí, sí. Wow, wow. ¿Y enseñaste en Ecuador o no? Soy profesora un poquito por herencia, ¿no? Ah. Eh, porque mi padre fue maestro. Eh, mi padre se graduó de periodista. Oh. Y luego trabajaba en el teatro, era súper artista, bohemio, <risa> wow, wow. Eh, escritor, escribió poesía um, y descubrió que le enseñaba, le gustaba mucho enseñar. Entonces mm. empezó a enseñar español para extranjeros. La vida le llevó a enseñar en un colegio internacional en Quito. Y luego mi hermana, mi hermano y yo fuimos a ese colegio mm. para estudiar en un sí. colegio internacional. Es la razón por la que aprendí a hablar inglés. Ah. Eh, y luego, con, yo creo que una gran influencia de él y también eh, me encantan las palabras, la literatura, <risa> las culturas. Sí, viajar, sí, hay, hay mucho en, en, exacto, en el idioma. Exacto, sí. entonces la diferencia de por qué los latinos usamos ciertas frases, ciertas mm. palabras y en otras culturas no funciona sí, así. Sí, ¿no? yo, yo uso, en vez de eres, yo no uso eres, uh -huh. yo uso sos, sos de dónde exacto. sos. Pero es solo para Argentina y Uruguay. Exactamente. Entonces, esa es una de las curiosidades grandes que sí, tenía. I... Y me llevó a, a ser profesora. Wow. Estudié lingüística y mm -hmm. estudié educación. Y enseñé en la misma escuela donde me gradué. Wow. Y luego quise salir del Ecuador y eh, enseñé en Bangkok, en Praga y ahora que wow. Entonces, sí, un, eh, un poco de la, a las culturas, al idioma y, y una gran influencia de mi padre, ¿no? ¿Cuánto tiempo fuera de, de Ecuador 
¿Cómo pudiste estar conectado con tus roots? Ajá, tus... Sí, con mis raíces. Sí, tus Me raíces. encanta tu pregunta. Son casi 20 años ya fuera del Ecuador. Eh, pienso que una, la identidad latina, hispana, creció y no solamente me siento ecuatoriana. Entonces, una de las cosas que me emociona y es como te conocí, es cuando sé que alguien es latino o hispano y habla el idioma, sí. siento una atracción gigante. Yo, Entonces, yo también, yo también. Por eso te busqué, Dori. Oh, tú hablas de español. Entonces, la identidad deja de ser solamente de un país o una ciudad, empieza a crecer y es una cultura, una comunidad más grande, ¿no? Mi amor por mi identidad, el respeto que siento por mi identidad, absolutamente es algo que cargo muy fuerte. Tengo una hija y ella también fue una influencia de mi gana de contribuir eso en su identidad. Entonces, en casa hablábamos solo español, eh, ciertas tradiciones de casa de Ecuador llevamos a Tailandia, donde también hacíamos para que sí. justamente siga ese amor por la, por la identidad, ¿no? Porque sí. no, no se puede olvidar quién es, <risa> y que es una gran parte de quién es ella. Entonces, sí. Y, sí, idioma, música, comida. Sí, hay, hay mucho de todo uh -huh. en la cultura de, no solo en Ecuador o en, o en Uruguay, también en toda la cultura de latino, uh -huh, hispánico. Sí, sí. Y también uh, en tu tiempo aquí en Japón, uh -huh. es casi un año, uh, sí. un año un y año, más, sí. uh, ¿has tenido la opor oportunidad de conocer a otros latinos o hispánicos? Uh -huh. Lamentablemente no todavía. Uh -huh. Y digo todavía porque tengo la esperanza de que sí. <risa> porque en los otros países que he vivido sí he logrado eh, conectarme con una comunidad uh -huh. hispana, ¿no? Entonces, pienso que tiene que ver con la pandemia, con sí. que el país ha sido muy estricto y se ha cerrado y no hay turismo y, y no es la vida normal. Así que he buscado, por ejemplo, restaurantes hispanos, entonces pequeñas conexiones de ese tipo, sí, pero no mucho todavía con una comunidad más, mm. más sí, obvia, mi, ¿no? Mi, mis padres encontraron algunos markets o mercados para hispánicos como un pan de queso o algo, okay. algo simple. De... Yo sé qué tienda está hablando, <risa> la que está en la embajada de Perú. Sí, 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 ese. Sí, sí, yo también encontré la tienda. Sí, el plátano verde, el plátano Sí, maduro. hay mucho ductos sí, de leche sí, ahí. Exacto, sí. sí. Yo estaba como una niña en una tienda de juguetes. Sí, sí, sí. Y, ah, y ahora me, me dijiste que estás, eh, estabas haciendo algo en clase uh -huh. de este, eh, que, que es el mes, para, para conmemorar el mes. Sí. Justamente eh, en Estados Unidos se celebra en septiembre el mes de la herencia hispana, ¿no? Sí. Entonces es una súper buena oportunidad para conectar eso con la clase y para mostrarles a los estudiantes eh, las diferentes um, influencias y contribuciones de los hispanos en otras comunidades. Creo que es como mi responsabilidad, no solamente enseñar español, pero sí traer a la clase los aspectos culturales y sociales, ¿no? Sí. Y que se comprenda inmigración en general, hay cosas positivas a las comunidades y el ejemplo de los hispanos en Estados Unidos es una gran oportunidad para justamente celebrar eso, ¿no? De ¿Quiénes son estos líderes? ¿Quiénes son estas personas? Sí, César Chávez. César, sí. Tú acabas de entrar al final de la clase. ¿Quiénes son? Eh, son inmigrantes, son gente sí. que 
estuvo en la tierra trabajando y, y traen un montón de contribuciones sociales positivas, ¿no? Que tienen hasta ahora una, sí. una influencia grande en una comunidad. Es, es, es algo tan grande en, en, en América uh -huh. porque es, es, es un, un nation de inmigrantes, de todo, es de Europa y de Asia y, y de Latinoamérica. Exactamente. Y hay tantas personas, tantas culturas sí. que hay necesidad de, de celebrar esas culturas. Sí, 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 sí. Lo has dicho perfectamente, es exactamente eso. Es, la, es una invitación a ver otro lado de la moneda, ¿no? Y no mirar a estas contribuciones o a estas personas de una manera, de un lente negativo, sí. eh, pero celebrar esas contribuciones y ¿sí? que pasan en todas las comunidades, porque ahora los estudiantes de mi clase están pensando en líderes de su comunidad mm. y quiénes son y qué contribuciones traen. Y ojalá encuentren líderes que no necesariamente son de ese país que ahora viven en su comunidad, pero que han, tal vez se han mudado de diferentes partes, ¿no? Sí. Entonces, ha sido muy divertido escuchar cómo piensan, y, pero sí, es, es importante traerlo a la clase. Uh -huh. Gracias por todo, es, es todas mis preguntas. Muchísimas sí. gracias, yo estoy feliz de que me conecte contigo. Eres sí, el yo también. hispano con el que me conecto uh, en la escuela, y así que me encanta. Es, es un gusto encontrarte sí, en los corredores gusto. y hablar un poquito de español. Sí, es, es algo, un poquito sí, para, para conectar. Sí, sí. exactamente. Sí. Me encanta, gracias Nico, qué gusto. Encantado, sí, sí, un sí, gusto. And that was the dealio. Thank you so much to Espy, Mateo, and Sierra Jimenez for giving me their time to speak about Hispanic Heritage Month. Don't forget to check out the rest of our episodes at delio.asij.ac.jp, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or Hanabi. Follow us on Instagram at asij.whatsthedelio. As mentioned, this will be a bi-weekly podcast. So see you in two weeks on October 21st for an all-new episode about the fall play. Thanks for listening.